Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Today we're going to be continuing our values series. Uh, So we've had two so far. We had Spirit Led a couple of weeks ago and then we had... uh, the Word of God uh, last week. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at serving. And to uh, get us ready for that, we're going to be reading uh, from the book of Philippians. So I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles. And we're turning to Philippians chapter 2 today, uh, reading from verses 1 through to 11. Uh, So if you've got Bibles with you, uh, feel free to open them up. If you haven't and you would like to be following along uh, with the Bible, there's baskets in the aisles and you can grab one of those Bibles out. You can use it today. If you haven't got one at home, you can take it home. That's our gift to you as well. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Hayden. When I was a toddler, my dad used to take me Occasionally dropped me off at Grandpa's house, and Grandpa would spend a few hours playing with me while Dad attended to some things that he needed to get done. Now, you probably know that toddlers are very impressionable, and at that age, they are like sponges. They mimic uh, what they see and what people do, and through observation, they're learning how to live and how to behave. One particular day, as Dad was dropping me off at Grandpa's house, it just so happened that he was cut off by another driver. Sometimes when you're driving with little ones in the car, you kind of forget they're in there, don't you? Or at the very least, you forget that they're in the back seat and they're always watching and listening and learning. So when Dad was cut off by the driver, he instinctively said, what are you doing, you? And then he used a word that I can't repeat in church on a Sunday morning. Dad probably thought nothing of it, but I was in the back seat learning. And so Dad dropped me off at Grandpa's house, as he normally does. And Grandpa, I remember my Grandpa, he was a fun guy. He was always playing silly games with us. I remember the first thing he'd do is he'd always steal my nose. So he'd grab my nose and he'd go, I've got your nose. And I'd go, oh, I haven't got a nose anymore. And he'd go, don't worry, I can put it back. And I'd go, oh, thank the Lord, it's back again. I need my nose. And he'd play silly games like that all the time. And he was always a lot of fun. But at the same time, he was a very devout Christian. And he was very strict and serious in other ways. And on this particular day, when Grandpa was playing his typical silly games with his grandson, a.k.a. me, 
I responded in a way that was very unexpected. <laughs> I simply said, Granddad, you're a real... And I repeated the word that I'd learned in the car that morning. When Dad arrived back a couple of hours later, Grandpa pulled him aside. He said, Paul, I need to talk to you. And he said, oh, what's up? And he said, I need to talk to you about your son's language. And Dad said, oh, strike. And he goes, what did he say? And he said, uh, <coughs> he cleared his throat. And he said, he called me a, uh, <coughs> and then he said the word. I think at that point, Dad was relieved. That's all it was. But even still, it wasn't a great thing. And the point is this, that we're often shaped by the people we look to, aren't we? And I, uh, it's a funny story to tell. It's kind of fun to tell it while Dad's away and he can't defend himself. <laughs> but I can also tell you while he's away that my dad has been one of the greatest role models in my life. And despite the occasional road rage that may or may not have been passed down to his kids, he's always been a man of integrity, a man of conviction, a man of unconditional love, and most of all, a man who's always pointed me to Jesus. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. The other thing about my dad is my dad has always been someone who's modelled servanthood, someone who's always shown how important it is to live a life of serving. And it's a real blessing, isn't it, to have people in our lives that we can look to and imitate when it comes to faith. And my life has been very much shaped by my dad in many different ways. But when it comes to being a Christian, we have the ultimate example of how to live. That's found not in a great person like my dad or people in your life, but it's found in the person of Jesus. That's why at follow, he's our vision. We talk about it all the time. He's the one we look to. He's the one we imitate. He's the one who shows us how to live. And so as we continue today in our series on values, we're doing nine weeks on the values of Follow Baptist Church. Today we're looking at this issue of serving. It's an incredibly important issue to look at. And I've got to say that I'm so grateful that serving is a value at follow, not just written down on a website, but written on the hearts of God's people here at Officer. I've got to say that I'm inspired when I see the passion of people in our church on a regular basis. When I go down to a food van on a freezing cold night where we're serving food to people who are homeless and disadvantaged and I see someone like Jane Fernanda down there with a huge smile on her face serving food and sitting with our guests, I'm inspired by that kind of servanthood. I'm inspired when people rock up here at the crack of dawn on a Sunday morning to set up stage and sound equipment and musical instruments so that we can come and enjoy a place like this to worship. I'm inspired by a worship team who practice so that they can worship to the best of their ability. I'm inspired by people behind the scenes during the week who are praying and serving by you know, making meals for people in need. I'm inspired that for people that come to our breakfast club at 7am on a Tuesday morning, that give up a sleep in to come and serve in a local school and to bless those kids there. And I've got to say, I'm so inspired that there's a group of people here at Follow, and I'm incredibly grateful that he's called together a group of people who understand what it is to serve. Because I talk to a lot of people and a lot of other pastors who say that in their church, it's 80-20. It's Sorry, 2080. Am I saying it right? Yeah, 2080 rule, where 20% of the people do 80% of the serving. But I reckon at follow, it's probably closer to 80-20, where 80% of people are doing the work. And that's a wonderful thing. So I want to do a bit of experiment this morning. I want to invite anyone here this morning that serves in any way in this church, whether you're uh, here at a service on a weekend, whether you lead an MCG, whether you're in a building committee, whether you're serving at a school or at a food van. If you serve in any way in this church, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And I think it's a beautiful picture to see how many people are serving in the life of this church. 
Because to have an impact in the community, it doesn't just happen and it requires people that are willing to say, I'm willing to sacrifice to serve the Lord so that his name will be lifted higher over a region like this. And so I want to tell all of you here today that you are loved and you are valued and you are appreciated, not for what you do, but for who you are. But what you do is inspiring as you follow the Lord. It is such a powerful witness to our community that there are a group of people that will put themselves aside to stand up and say, I'm here to worship God. And so I want to say thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I want to read a verse today that I think you'll find encouraging. It's Jesus' words in John 12, 26. And he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. So I want to remind you on those days when it's tough to serve, when you feel tired and worn out, that the Father's honouring you for what you're doing as you serve his son. And I want to say thank you for being willing to make those sacrifices. And I want to remind you of what it says in Romans, the book of Romans. It says, always keep your spiritual fervour when serving the Lord. And I love the fact that you're passionate about what you do, and I appreciate it. So let's give these people a round of applause. You can be seated again. If you're not standing this morning, there's probably a reason why you're not. Maybe you're new, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're in a busy season of life, maybe circumstances have made it impossible. But I just wanted to say that if you're not serving in the life of the church, if you're not serving in mission in any way, I want to encourage you that there's always opportunities at this church to serve. We are a body of Christ around the world, but we're a body of Christ in this local area as well. And you have been uniquely gifted. You've been given abilities and passions that God wants you to use for his glory. And so if you want to get involved in serving in the life of this church, I would encourage you to come and see myself or one of the leaders after the service. And we'll find a place for you to serve. Sometimes we look at churches like this and we go, oh, it all just happens. There's nothing for me to do. Let me tell you categorically, that is not true. There's always stuff to do. Ask Jim Bilson for the setup team. He'll tell you there's something to do. Ask all the other people that serve in the life of the church and they will tell you there are many opportunities for you to use your gifts and abilities to serve the Lord. Today I want to look at this topic of serving by answering three basic questions we may ask when it comes to serving. And the questions are these. First of all, why should we serve? Second of all, how should we serve? And thirdly, who should we serve? Why should we serve? How should we serve? Who should we serve? If you go to our website and look at our website, you'll see on our website what it says about serving. And this is what it says about serving for us. We love to serve. We don't serve because we have to. We rejoice because we get to. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others. If this is the posture of God himself, then we want to follow in his footsteps, serving him willingly, joyfully, passionately and wholeheartedly. There is no greater privilege. So let's answer these three questions. Why should we serve? How should we serve? And who should we serve? I hope today you leave the service uh, excited about serving from Philippians chapter 2, which is our main text today. But before we turn there, I want to lay a theological foundation to answer the first question of why should we serve? And to do that, we need to go back to the very start of creation, to the creation account in Genesis. Because I think the first answer to the question of why we should serve is simply this, that we were created to serve. We were created to serve. In the creation account, when God placed the first human beings, Adam and Eve, in the garden, of all the things he made, no matter how beautiful they were, Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of his creation. And so when we look at Adam and Eve in the garden, we see what God had designed humanity to be like. 
They are the only human beings that have ever truly experienced the kind of freedom that God designed for us to enjoy. Now, we all have our own idea of what life should be like, but nobody in this room has ultimately experienced the kind of life God designed us to live because we've never lived in a world pre-sin. Everything we've experienced has been tainted and impacted by the devastation of sin. However, Adam and Eve were different. Prior to the fall, in the garden, they were living the lives God created us to enjoy. And God looked at what was happening in the garden and he assessed it all by saying it was very good. So he looked at Adam and Eve and he saw a couple that were creative and intelligent, innocent and beautiful, loving and kind. And they lived in this stunning intimacy with God where they walked and they talked in the garden with him. And really, it's a beautiful picture of freedom. But what I want you to understand about that and notice about that is that from the very beginning, in the midst of the most stunning joy and freedom that's ever been experienced on planet Earth, human beings were actually thriving in a culture of serving. They were created to serve, created to serve one another with sacrificial love as they lay their lives down for each other. They were created to serve and care for creation as they ruled and subdued it. But most of all, they were created to serve their creator, to live their lives for him. Now, we've been conditioned these days to think that freedom is found in being served. And we get a little glimpse of this when we go away on holidays, don't we? When we go away and we stay in a hotel and it feels like, hey, I'm finally free. I get to go away and I stay in a hotel and someone parks my car and someone washes my towels and someone serves my breakfast and someone cleans my sheets and, wow, I feel incredibly free. And we feel free when we've got someone serving us. But when it comes to serving, we sometimes don't equate serving with freedom. In fact, sometimes we see serving as a bit of a drag. It's kind of inconvenient. It's an encroachment on our time. It's a restriction of our freedom. And there are other things that perhaps we'd rather be doing. If we find ourselves thinking like that, I think it's a complete misunderstanding of a mind that needs further sanctification because serving is uniquely rooted in our design and it's uniquely connected to our purpose. The truth is we can waste our entire lives trying to search for meaning in pursuing self. But I think as we look at the world around us, we see that that's been a failed experiment. And we'll never find true meaning there because we weren't created to bring glory to ourselves and to serve ourselves. We were created to bring glory to God. Serving is the vehicle in which we do that. And so in God's design, serving is the greatest privilege of our lives. And this is what Adam and Eve were created to do in the garden. And you'll notice that while they were serving before the fall, they were enjoying life, weren't they? They weren't moping around complaining. They weren't rolling out of bed going, oh, I'm so sick of this bloke, Adam. I I don't want to serve him today. And he wasn't thinking, oh, my wife, I'm tired of her. And they weren't complaining about the beautiful garden they were in and the fact that they had to work and tend that garden. They weren't complaining about God. They weren't talking about him being a taskmaster and wishing that they were free to do whatever they want. No, no, they were loving life. They were living in a design as it was meant to be. There was, you know, freedom and there was joy and there was love and and really they were literally living in paradise. It would have been a wonderful experience, something that we've never experienced before. And that's how God designed it to be. But most of us know the story. The devil came to steal, kill and destroy the blessing they were experiencing. He slithered his way into paradise and he convinced Adam and Eve that paradise was not enough. 
He deceived them into thinking that God didn't actually want what was best for their life. In fact, he was withholding even bigger blessings for them to experience. And he convinced them that the key was found in the fruit of the one tree that God had told them not to eat from. Because God had said, if you eat from that tree, you'll die. And the devil said, that's a, that's a load of rubbish. God's lying to you. You won't surely die. In fact, if you eat from that tree, he says, your eyes will be open. And then he says, and you will be like God. This is the moment of temptation for Adam and Eve. They have this choice. Are they going to trust and serve God or are they going to serve themselves? And so Adam and Eve in the garden made the most devastating decision that's ever been made and it still affects us today. They took their eyes off God because they no wonder, they wanted to be God. They wanted to be God of their own lives. They no longer wanted to serve because they thought freedom was found in being served. And at that moment, they set humanity on a whole new path to travel down. They stepped out of the blessing that God had provided for them and they stepped right into the destruction of sin which leads to death. They were expelled from God's presence and they were separated from him. And in that instant, their lives changed from serving God to serving self. This is what we call the fall. And we call it the fall because they fell from what God designed them to be and they became something so much less. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. And in the story of the fall, he robbed humanity of a joy that's found in a life of serving and he replaced it with a superficial, empty pursuit of self. And by and large, that's the culture we've lived in ever since. And I've noticed this, that fallen culture is selfish culture. It's a culture when we try and shift God off the throne and put ourselves there instead. We live in a culture these days that's more defined by selfishness than it is by service. A world where we want to climb the corporate ladder by stepping on other people's heads. A culture that's driven by consumerism where there's an incredible greed for more. A culture that's obsessed with comfort. A culture that focuses on my rights more than my responsibilities. A culture that says I'm the most important person in the world. A culture where we want to be like God, where everything centres around us instead of centering on him. Where did this come from? Well, it flows directly from the first Adam who stopped serving to be served. So why should we serve? First of all, we should serve because we were created to serve. But the second reason is even more powerful. We should serve because we've been recreated to serve in Christ. You see, every one of us was born into the pattern of Adam, born into sin, and we gravitate naturally towards self because that's what Adam did. And the lie of the devil that we keep swallowing ever since Eden over and over again is that if we put ourselves first, we'll be happy. It's like Jesus said, isn't it? What are the two greatest commandments? Love yourself and love yourself. He didn't say that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law hangs on this. And it's a powerful thing to be people who live lives of service. But the problem is this, that so many people go on an endless pursuit of purpose their entire lives and never find it because they've disconnected themselves from God and from a life of serving. And so it should be no surprise that our world's more messed up than it's ever been before. More depression, more suicide, more misery, more hopelessness than we've ever seen before because Adam's pathway is not leading where the devil promised it would. That's the bad news. The good news of the gospel is this, that the Bible talks about a second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. 
And he came to redeem us from the curse of sin, which flowed directly from the first Adam. Adam leads us down a broad, selfish road to death. But Jesus, the second Adam, comes to rescue us from that path and take us down the narrow path to life. That's why the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You have been recreated. The Bible says you have been born again. And the life-changing news of the gospel is the second we submitted our lives to Christ, the second Adam, as Lord of our lives, he saved us from a fallen culture of selfishness where we waste our lives searching but never finding any meaning. And he saves us into a redeemed culture of serving where we reconnect with God's design and purpose for our lives. The Bible says he's literally snatched us from the kingdom of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of light. And it's an upside down, inside out, countercultural kingdom that should set us apart from the rest of the world so that while we're still in the world, we're not of it. And part of that is that he gives us a new vision for life. And this is the ironic thing, isn't it? That in the garden, the devil promised Adam and Eve that their eyes would be open, but they were closed to things of the Spirit. But when we come to know Jesus, he once again opens our eyes to see things as they're designed to be. I once was blind, but now I see. And so he gives us a new vision for life. We are now the redeemed people of God. We're part of a redeemed culture, a redeemed way of seeing the world, a redeemed set of values, a redeemed way of living, and he completely redeems the way we see serving. We no longer see serving as an obligation, but a joyful part of the freedom we enjoy because we have been created and recreated in Christ to live lives of purpose through serving God and serving others. Adam and Eve disconnected themselves from their true purpose of serving, but we reconnect to it in Christ. And so we're left with a choice this morning. We can listen to Adam or we can listen to Jesus, but we can't follow both. As Christians, we have been united with Christ. Verse 1, Therefore, if anyone has encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Why should we serve? Because we've been created and recreated to serve in Christ. Second question, how should we serve? Well, why really is the theological? How, in many ways, is the practical? And the easy answer is, like Jesus. We should serve like Jesus. We sang about this a moment ago, didn't we? I wrote the words down somewhere. I can't remember where I wrote them. But he says, open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your love and lead me in your love to those around me. This is how Jesus loves and this is how we're called to love. And so how should we serve? Like Jesus. Last week I wasn't preaching, so I had a nice relaxing day off on Friday, and I thought it'd be nice to take my wife out for lunch, and so I thought I'd treat her to Maccas. No, I didn't. It was a special occasion, so we went to KFC. You'll be happy to know we didn't go to KFC, we actually went to Shanika's at Lakeside. Who's been to Shanika's before? It's a beautiful restaurant in Pakenham, and when we want a special treat, um, we go there together. And Shanika's, I think, is the premium restaurant in Pakenham, and the food there is always beautiful. But a few years ago, another restaurant came into the same estate. 
It was called The Mill. The Mill was the new buzz place in the area. It was owned by some famous chef. It was a beautiful new venue. It was located in the middle of the main street and everyone was talking about it, not just in Pakenham, but right around Melbourne. It was flagged as the new fancy restaurant of the southeast and it was going to change the way we do food out here in the back blocks of Pakenham. This is the great promise of the mill. And on the first night that it opened, there was a queue about 100 metres long trying to get in and see what the mill was all about. For the first few weeks, it was completely booked out. And I must admit, I was worried at the time for Shanika's because I thought it may really affect their business and maybe they would no longer be the premium restaurant of Lakeside. And so I thought I'd go and check out what all the fuss was about. And so I booked in at the mill and I went and had a dinner there on a couple of occasions. And what I found is this, that the food was pretty good. The atmosphere was really uh, kind of vibrant. The price was pretty similar to Shanika's. But I couldn't shake the feeling that there was something that wasn't quite the same. As the weeks and months went by and the buzz wore off, the booking started to dry up and the owner ended up selling the mill. It changed its menu, it kept running as the mill, but has recently changed its name with another change of ownership. I can't even tell you what the name is anymore. Maybe it's run of the mill, I'm not sure. <laughs> but what I can tell you is this, is that Shanika's is still there and it hasn't just survived, but it's continued to thrive. And I reflected on this week why that's the case and I boiled it down to one simple word. And the word is service. See, I've never been to Shanika's and experienced service that is anything less than brilliant. As soon as you arrive, you get a warm welcome. The service is quick. Nothing's a hassle. And it really feels like they're trying to tailor every experience for each person that comes to enjoy the food in that restaurant. And I've noticed it doesn't matter who serves you. It's not that it's the same person every time. It's different people every time. They're often young people. And yet service is always brilliant. They just seem to nail it when it comes to customer service. Another thing I notice is that I've never visited Shanika's when the owner, Nigel, isn't there. And I couldn't tell you who the owner of the mill was, even though he was some famous chef guy, but I know Nigel because he's always been there. When it comes to customer service, he leads by example. Day after day, he models to his staff what is expected through his actions. They have someone to look to. Now, Nigel is the boss. But what I love about him is he still waits tables. He still greets guests. He still cares for the customer's needs. And he does it all with a smile on his face and with a joyful attitude. After lunch last week, I introduced myself to him. And I complimented him on his staff service. And I asked him about his staff induction service, because I'm always interested in culture. How do you build culture? And I said, what do you do with your staff? How do you induct staff in? Because I said, they're always so good at what they do. You must have a very thorough induction process. And he said, actually, we're pretty old school. We don't have any induction process at all. But what we do do is we make it clear what's expected. We tell all new employees, and they're often young students, that if they're looking for a cushy job where they're just served a wage each week, then Shanika's is probably not the place for them. But I explained to them that Shanika's is a restaurant with 30 years of reputation. And when you take a role here, you are representing that name and you are joining the Shanika family. I left that day inspired by their willingness to serve and their culture of joy as they do it. And it got me thinking as I pondered my dining experience. And I thought to myself, if those employees in that restaurant would serve that way because of a 30-year reputation of a restaurant and because of the example of their boss who models service to them, how much more joyful should we be when we represent Jesus and when we join the family of God and the example of Jesus, the eternal servant king? 
That's why we love to serve. And I think this is where Colossians 2 is so stunning and so powerful at the same time because it shows us what to expect from the one who models service to us. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I want you to notice the dissension that happens in this passage because it is truly mind-boggling because we're going to understand that Jesus started at the highest place you can possibly be. He started in heaven at the right hand of his Father, the glory, the majesty, the perfection of heaven, very nature God. And he willingly chose and joyfully chose to step out of the glory of heaven into his own creation. And it says he makes himself nothing. The God who is everything literally makes himself nothing, a nobody. Not only that, but he goes further down. He takes on the nature of a servant. The God who should be served by all creation takes the role of serving in his own creation. Not only that, he's made in human likeness. He becomes one of us. The creator becomes part of his own creation, God in human form. Not only does he become a human, but he steps down even further. He humbles himself to becoming obedient. Not only to be obedient, but obedient to death. Willing to die for your sins and mine. Willing to be crucified on a cross. Not only does he die, but he's willing to die in the most shameful way. Death on a cross. People said anyone who died on a cross was cursed. He became cursed for you and for me. That is stunning. From the highest of highs to the lowest you can possibly go is what Jesus did for you and me. If anybody is worthy of our love, affection, praise and worship, if anyone should have exercised their authority, power and strength, if anyone deserves to be exalted, adored and placed on a pedestal, it's Jesus. But he humbled himself for us. He went as low as you could possibly go from heights we could only ever imagine. It's extraordinary humility. It's life-changing love and it's an incredible life of serving. And it's inspiring because he's our model. He says, come Follow me and reconnect into a life of purpose found by serving God and putting the interests of others above yourself. If Jesus was willing to leave heaven and be born in an animal trough, if the King of glory would walk amongst us with no place to rest his head, if the Saviour of the universe was the first to wash his disciples' feet, if the name above every other name made himself nothing, if the Prince of Peace For the joy set before him endured the shame of crucifixion on a Roman cross. And it tells me when it comes to serving, there should be nothing beneath us. Years ago, I heard a preacher preach a wonderful message titled, The Way Up is Down. And the general idea is that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to be willing to serve because God exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. It's a great message. But the problem was I observed the life of the person who preached it over the next number of years when I was a younger man. And I soon realised that he wasn't willing to live it. I observed his life over several years. I noticed he would never do things that were beneath him. He'd never stack a chair. He'd never come to a working bee. 
He would never serve at a local community lunch. It's almost like he'd done his down, he'd humbled himself, but now he'd been exalted. And because now he'd been exalted, there's a whole bunch of stuff that was now below him. Colossians 2 shows us that we never graduate to that position. And I've given my wife permission that if I ever become a prima donna pastor, where anything is below me, she can shake me and tell me to wake up to myself. I actually said she could slap me over the head, but that sounds too violent, so I'm not going to say that in church. And the reason for that is because we want to value a culture of serving in this church. And it should always be modelled by our leadership. That's why when the elders come on the team here, we make it a requirement that wherever possible, they serve monthly at the food van. Eldership is one of the most important positions in our church. It casts vision, prayer, pastoral care, teaching, guarding doctrine, church discipline, leadership. But when people in our community encounter the key leaders of our church, they should see that those leaders understand that serving at a cold, wet park to some of the most vulnerable people in our community is not beneath them. In fact, it's exactly where Jesus would be. Our elders should be the greatest servants in this church and you should keep us accountable to that. Because if we're not willing to serve, we're not worth following. We can't lead you where we're not willing to go ourselves and where we want to go is where Jesus went to a radical life of service. Jesus said in Mark 10, 44, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. You see, the higher you go in the kingdom of God, the deeper you go in your service of God and others. I'd like to suggest if serving is good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. And he models how we should serve. How should we serve? Like Jesus, with humility, sacrifice, willingness, and with joy. Which brings us to the last question. And the question is, who should we serve? Imagine this morning you were given the opportunity to spend the week with your hero or someone you admire. Your job for the week was to follow them around and to serve them and do whatever they needed you to do. So if you're a cricket fan, it might be Steve Smith, who's currently winning the Ashes by himself. If you love theology, maybe you'd want to meet with C.S. Lewis if he was still around and spend the week with him, serving him and hearing some of his wisdom and learning from the things and the stories he told. Maybe if you like movies, it might be Jennifer Lawrence or Brad Pitt. Maybe if you're Gen Z, it's your favourite YouTuber. I'm sorry, I don't know any of their names. (laughs) But if you had the chance to spend a week with your hero or someone you admire, I reckon you'd be so excited about it because it's someone you really look up to and admire in life. And so you'd be given your instructions on Monday morning, the time to meet and the things to do. And I reckon all weekend you'd be buzzing. You'd be thinking about it. If you're an older person, you'd be shining up your shoes and you'd be getting out your suit and your tie and you'd be doing your hair. If you were a younger person, you'd be looking for those jeans with the most amount of rips you can possibly find and you'd be scuffing up your shoes and messing up your hair like I did this morning. Whatever was appropriate for your generation, you would make sure you're ready. And I can guarantee you wouldn't be a minute late. In fact, you'd be early. You'd be prepared. You'd have thought about it in your head over and over again. You'd be excited. You'd be expecting great things that week. You'd have a spring in your steps, a smile on your face. You'd have joy in your heart because you get to serve someone you love and admire. And it all flows from being in the presence of someone great. I wonder if what I just described would be an accurate description of you when it comes to serving God. Do you come into serving with an expectation in your heart? Did you come this morning excited about what God could say and do in your life as you serve him? Because when it comes to serving, and I think we're all guilty of this at times, sometimes we turn up late. Sometimes we don't turn up at all. 
Sometimes there's no joy or expectation. Sometimes we grumble about what we're doing because we're on the roster again. Let me tell you, the only way that is possible is that if we've forgotten who we're serving. Because this passage makes it clear who we serve as Christians, and it's Christ. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have a look at that verse on the screen, and remember, this is who we serve. What a privilege. What a joy to serve the name that is above every other name. You might think, well, Luke, that's obvious. Of course, we know we're Christians. We serve Jesus. I'm not sure it is that obvious. I'm not sure it's as obvious as we think it sometimes, because I think when we forget who we're serving, we lack passion and we start to serve like we're serving someone else. If you're serving another person, it will soon become an obligation. Unless that person is Jesus, then it will always be a pleasure. See, I've been in churches where people serve their pastor. They run around and they do everything. It's about impressing the pastor and being friends with the pastor and they're running around serving and meeting every need they have. And don't get me wrong, I think it's a good thing to respect your pastor and let me strongly advocate for that this morning. (laughs) Especially if your pastor's amazing. I mean, it's just great to respect your pastor. But I also want to make it clear, if you're serving in this church, you're not serving me. I'm Luke Williams, the lead pastor of Follow Baptist Church. Big deal. Jesus is a name above every other name. He's the one that we serve. If you serve in this church, you're not serving me. I've seen the opposite as well, where people just want to be validated all the time in their workplace or in their church, and they want their boss or their pastor to always be telling them how great they are, and you know, they don't appreciate me, and they should be more thankful, and they haven't acknowledged me, and I'm doing them a favour, and they don't even care. You can only say those things when you've forgotten who you're serving. Sometimes we forget we're serving Jesus, and we start thinking we're doing others a favour when we serve. But let me tell you, if you're serving anyone who's lower than Jesus, you need to lift your eyes to who you truly serve. Because when you truly serve Jesus, it will never be an obligation. It will be the greatest joy and privilege of your life. If you serve at Follow Baptist Church, you're not doing Luke Williams a favour. If you serve in the kids' ministry, you're not doing Esther a favour. When you serve on the hospitality team, you're not doing Jason Danielle a favour. When you serve on the welcome team, you're not doing Steve a favour. Let me tell you, they're doing you a favour. Because they're creating an opportunity for you to serve the one to whom every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. They're doing you a favour, helping you to use your gifts and abilities that are God-given to bring glory back to him. They're doing you a favour by creating an opportunity for you to reconnect with what you were created and recreated to do. When you start to serve, you're not only connecting with your past, doing what you were created to do, but you start participating in your future where you will serve and worship Jesus forever. And so we're giving you an opportunity to get started now. What a privilege. What a joy. She could never get sick of serving the Lord. That's the reason why we want 0% unemployment rate in this church when it comes to serving. Because we want you to have that opportunity. Why do we serve? Because we're created and recreated to serve in Christ. How do we serve? Like Jesus, with love, humility and joy. Putting others' needs above ourselves. Reflecting him to a community in which we serve. Who do we serve? Jesus Christ, our King to the glory of God the Father. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. 
If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.